We're on the series, doing a series called Seated and Sealed. And the focus is at this stage being sealed with the Spirit. And so obviously the person of the Spirit is who we are talking about. I don't want to say what we are talking about. It's like who we are talking about. And so my aim this morning is, is to help us recognize and value the person of the Spirit. And we've been trying to do that over the last couple of weeks indeed. And we're going to carry on. And just a little bit of a recap because this morning is a continuation. I had to kind of, at the 37th minute or whatever it was last week, I'm like, uh-oh, I've got to stop right here because it's going to carry on for too long. And so we, we started off last week just talking about the fact that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came on particular people at a particular time for a particular purpose. The Spirit of God was not upon all of mankind, upon those that believed in God. He was just only on particular people, particular time, particular purpose. And then we further noticed that, noticed that God promised in the Old Testament that this is going to change, that the way in which he worked on people and through people is going to change. And that's what we found in many of the prophetic books that God was saying, the time is coming where actually this is going to be different, where I will come on all people that are followers of me. And that one of the beautiful things that we looked at is that God said, I will turn, when this happens, when the Spirit of God comes upon people, I will turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Which meaning that I will change you. So when God's Spirit comes, it has much more um, effect on people's lives than just outward manifestations. It has this inward work that He comes to do. And so the Spirit of God was promised in the Old Testament that that was actually going to happen. And, and it's going to introduce a new way of living, completely new way. And so John the Baptist also then refers to Jesus and he says, listen, I'm, I'm not worthy to actually tie his, his sandals, but, but what he's going to come to, I, I'm baptizing you with water, John the Baptist was saying. He's saying, no, there's one that's going to come, who's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. They're like, wow, John, what are you talking about, buddy? That's weird. That's strange. And, and so John was preparing us even, just as an Old Testament prophet had done. And then, then, boom, it all happened. It started happening. And we read last week in, in our final few verses, we, we saw an... And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter is the first guy who preaches the gospel to, to multitude. And most of you know the story. But as he preaches, they get convicted of their sin and they shout, Oh, what shall we do? And Peter just simply, Acts 2 verse 38, he says, repent. And repentance, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is, is actually not an option to consider. It's a command. It's not a, oh, let me think about that. Let me, let me consider how my life will be impacted by in a, 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 a process called repentance. And repentance is this. I used to walk in this direction. And I realized, boy, when I'm going, it's wrong. Jesus died for my sin. I don't want to carry on in this particular way. I want to repent of my sin. And the word is metanoia, which is transformation. And I go from there to there. It's a 180 degree turnaround. And I carry on in the opposite direction of where I used to go. And if you, this morning, as a friend, 
in this gathering have never come to the place where you said, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent. And I walk in the opposite direction. We want to help you with that. Because if you carry on this way, my friend, you will end up in eternal separation from God, which we call hell. The turnaround enables us to experience who God is and start knowing Him as our personal Lord and Savior. That one day is not should and if, but when. When we breathe our last. And we do share our sympathies this morning with the street family where a dear um, citizen of this nation has just passed away this morning called Heath Street. But the reality is this. Every one of us come to the place where we breathe our last. And a process of repentance enables us to be, to become a child, a son and a daughter of the Most High. To one day enter into this beautiful thing called heaven. That is the reality of life. And so this is what Peter preaches on that day. And as they are struck by the reality of their sin, he says to them, repent. Clearly he says to them, be baptized. And the way Charlene was referring to it that two weeks ago, actually right now, we were in that church where we talked about baptism and um, a couple of people were baptized that morning. And we made the comment that, isn't it interesting that here in Scripture so often, not so often, I think most of the time, when the gospel is shared, people get saved and they get baptized. People get saved and they get baptized. But isn't it interesting that in our world of following Jesus, we often get saved and Baptism is like a delayed step of obedience. So one day when I'm, I think I'm ready for it now, God. What we actually propagate is this delayed obedience lifestyle. That I'll consider it, and if it suits me, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I see that it's true. Okay, let me get baptized. I want to challenge you this morning. When we say yes to Christ, we say yes to everything. And it is a process of walking through all the yeses. But one of the yes responses to our Lord is to say, yes, Lord, you've, you died for my sins. I understand what you did. I am now born again because I believe in you. And one of the first things that I actually publicly display and confess of my following journey with you and my life with you is to get baptized because I understand. And obviously you need to be helped to understand what it means. But let's not live in this world where we're like one day. One day. And, and folks, if you, if you have a one day testimony at the moment regarding baptism, come talk to us and ask us more about baptism so that we can help you to come to the conviction of what it is about. I'm not telling you go baptize, get baptized now and you don't understand what it is why it's so important but if you've been a follower of Jesus and baptism is not part of your testimony yet you're living in disobedience and I love you but I've got to tell you that because I see in scripture very clearly that God instructs us to do this so Peter preaches this he says repent he says be baptized and then he makes this promise he says and you will receive you will receive 
you will receive the Spirit that comes upon you. So there's something taken away through baptism, old life, and there's something added, new life, through Christ. So we have this wonderful promise, and that's what we looked at last week, that upon conversion, upon salvation, I receive the Spirit of God. Amen? And so if you're born again, you are filled with God's Spirit. At the same time, we notice in Scripture that there's another experience after conversion. And this often is a very interesting conversation. But I love to just read Scripture (laughs) and let Scripture answer questions for us. So can I take you to Acts chapter 1? Are you all good? Zessa is back. You're fine. Well, not Zessa. Maybe it's a generator. I don't know what it is that's causing the light to be there. But something is working. Acts chapter 1. Please read with me. This is Jesus speaking. How many of you love to listen to when Jesus speaks? All right. Okay. Well, here he's speaking. (laughs) Acts chapter 1. Jesus is about to leave the earth. And he's about to go back to where he was sent from. It says, and while staying with them, Acts 1 verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. These are his followers. These are people that believe in him. Right? But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's like, oh, wow. Is another experience <laughs> that, that Jesus is talking about. Jesus says there's something more that's going to come. And actually the word he uses here, both in the instances of baptism, for John baptized with water, which is the word baptizo, which is immersion, which is go into water, not have water brought to you. You go to the water, <laughs> by the way. And then he uses the word again, but you will be baptized. That's immersion. That's baptizo again, which means that that I'm immersed in the Spirit of God. Like taken over by the Spirit of God. And, and Acts is the second book of who? Who wrote another book? Same author, Luke. Luke, at the end of his book, called Luke, he said the following. So keep your hand in, in Acts. We're going to come back to Acts. Just keep your finger there. But just go back to the first book of this author called Luke. And that's the book Luke. And right at the end of his book, he writes in chapter 24. This is Luke speaking. He says, and behold, Jesus speaking again. I'm sending the promise. Verse 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. The promise of the Father that we've read about and listened to during the Old Testament. And even when Jesus was around, he said, there's a promise coming. He says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with what? With power from on high. They've already been They've already believed in Christ. They've already understood what he's come to do. But he speaks to believers. He says, why don't you go and wait? Because there's something else that's going to happen to you. And someone is going to come 
and His name is Holy Spirit. Go back to where your finger is or swipe back to Acts 2 where we're not going to see what happens. It's all been promising. Very good promises made. Jesus is about to have left and, and He makes these promises and now Jesus had left. And the people are waiting. In Acts 2, verse 1, it says the following. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all. They are the ones that Jesus spoke to and said, go and wait. Go and wait for the promise of the Father. And so they were all together in what we call the upper room. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, say with me that word suddenly. Suddenly. You know, we often talk about the suddenlies of God that, that kind of just rushes upon us. And we don't expect it. We don't anticipate it. But it just, boom, it happens. And many of you have a story of a suddenly. Actually, our whole move to Zimbabwe came as a sudden thing one day. And there's a story to that. And so it says, and suddenly there, were, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We're like, that doesn't make sense. What is this all about? Jesus said, I will baptize you with fire. Remember? Then in verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the promise of what was going to happen happens here and holy spirit comes in that moment that suddenly of god took place the words that we read previously from joel chapter 2 that god said i will come upon all and even what what john had promised so now is fulfilled we see here the holy spirit coming upon those who already are believers and it's this is different than acts 2 because holy spirit was promised to come upon people that are believers. This is a different experience. Not, sorry, Acts 2 talk, says the Holy Spirit will come once you repent and you receive Christ. This is an experience for those who had already had that. And we see that, that maybe the first experience that we have as we come to salvation is we become aware of the presence of God. The second experience, as we read from here, maybe we become more aware of the power of God. Not that the power was not there, but it's just a greater awareness because it says that they were filled and they will be filled with power. We read further in the book of Acts, and, and we had, if we had the time, we could have gone into them in more detail. But in Acts chapter 8, verses 12 to 17, we read about these guys that, that came to faith and then out of having come to faith, we see them receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit sometime after coming to faith in Christ. You read that in Acts 2, Acts 8 rather in 12 to 17. We find another portion of the Ephesian believers in Acts 19 where something similar happens that they've been told of the person of the Holy Spirit but they never received, they never really knew much about the Holy Spirit. They'd never been told 
about him and they said, well, we don't know much about Holy Spirit. And when that was explained to them, they received. These are were for believers in the city of Ephesus. And so we find this incredibly wonderful thing that happens upon conversion. We find that people are filled with the Spirit. Then we find post-conversion that Jesus said, I will still come and I will baptize you with my Spirit. So that, and, and too often, unfortunately, because of the example, by the way, in Acts chapter 2, where people are filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues, we find that many times people express that the, um, the proof of being filled with the Spirit is that you speak in tongues. I think that's, that's just so, that's just such a small evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And, and this morning I want to actually, through what we need to talk about, help you understand that there are so many more evidences than just speaking in tongues. And by the way, speaking in tongues is, is a gift. It's part of the, the package of gifts, if we can call it that, that we are offered. And so I then want to ask the question, what then is the fruit of being filled with God's Spirit? Upon conversion and after conversion. How do I know, in other words, that I have received God's Spirit in my life so that I may experience the life of a spirit-filled believer. And so we want to just consider these things for the next while. And so we need to turn to probably one of the chapters in the Bible, particularly in the letters that are written in the book of Romans, chapter 8. And some years ago, we, we did this series called, I don't know what it was called, 8537 or something. And where we spoke about this chapter. And that actually many, many theologians considered to the Romans, the book of Romans, to be like the Himalayas of the Bible. It's like, man, there's just so much wealth in there. And then they say Romans 8 is actually like the Everest of the Himalayas. That you consider the Bible, you're like, man, there's so much wealth in there. But there's one that stands out, and that's that's Everest, and that, and that in Romans, there's this, this peak called Romans 8. And in Romans 8, by the way, there are 20 references, 20 times that Paul uses the word spirit as in capital. The person of the Holy Spirit is referred to. So guess where we're going to be able to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit from? Is Romans chapter 8. And so if we look at just from some of these verses, I want to just show you some of the fruit of what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the first thing is that in Romans 8 verses 5 to 6, we see here that I become more interested in the things of God than the things of the flesh. Verse 5 says, Romans 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those are unbelievers that are just not interested in God at all. It's just, you present to them, and I don't know how many of you have experienced that, and we're not judging any people with that, but people that are not connected to God, they're just not interested in God, and they're like, are well, you going to go to church? <laughs> Come on, buddy, we've got, we've got the, I mean, it's, it's summer season, we've got to get to Metopas, we've got to get to go out and do some fishing, or whatever it is, you know? They're not set, their minds. But, I love the word but there, in verse 5, 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The term flesh here refers to the human nature that is corrupted and weakened by sin. And sometimes we've got to watch ourselves, even as those that are led by God's Spirit, to not sow to the flesh. How many of you agree that that's possible? <laughs> because the corrupted nature of, 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 of sin in our lives still want us to be lured back to it. We've said no, we've made that turn around. And the nature over here still wants, hey, come here, Bessie. Think differently, behave differently. I'm like, no, I can't. I'm like, what? what was that? What was that? And we lured, isn't it? The corrupted nature of sin. And so Paul says, if you're filled by the Spirit of God and with the Spirit, then, then you're not interested in these things. You're more interested in, in the things of God. And Paul is contrasting the life before Christ to the life after Christ. And these two states of carnal and spiritual mindedness include and divide the whole world. So all people belong to either side. There's, there's, not, a, there's not a neutral place <laughs> that you can fit yourself into. It's not like, I'm, like I, I'm not choosing this side or that side. I'm just, I just want to be neutral. It's like I, I love God, but I'm not, I'm not too, that, too committed to really pursue. I'm like, just leave me here. No, no. You're either there or you're either here. You can't be in the middle. And so I, I want to encourage you again and, and at the same time challenge you. Please don't think that you can be neutral when it comes to the things of God or even the things of the world. You're either in it or away from it or out of it. And Paul says, a spirit follower or a spiritful person bears testimony that he loves the things of the spirit. We're unable to not be overcome by the presence of sin when we are filled by the presence of God and be controlled by His Spirit. It's a, in that there's an incredibly important statement that Paul makes where the responsibility is put on us. So now you're filled. You've been converted. Maybe you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. But there's a responsibility. And he uses these words. He said, those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So it doesn't automatically come. It's my responsibility, your responsibility that we have to set our minds on the things of God's Spirit. So I'm filled. God's Spirit is with me, is within me. I'm surrounded by Him. I'm absolutely aware of Him but I've got to still set my mind. So I've got to, I've got to choose still between, between death and life. I'm confronted with realities day by day when I deal with people, when I deal with situations, when I deal with finances, when I deal with my taxes. I've got to set my mind on the things of the Spirit, the flesh or the Spirit. The Spirit is within me. <laughs> and we come to a Sunday meeting, we're like, oh Lord Jesus, and you're praying tongues and, and you go wild and, and then you go work and you go to whatever situation and you find yourself... <gasps> I've got to choose. The Spirit of God's within me, but I've got to set my mind either on the flesh, because if I do, I will make fleshly decisions. 
And we, we sit in a world, we live in a world where we reap the result of fleshly decisions every single day. Come on. And, and we as believers, we need to so infiltrate the world with spirit-led decisions that we bring about change wherever we go. That's a spirit-led believer. You can pray in tongues until you're blue in the face with all due respect. But if you do not set your mind on the things of the Spirit and make fleshly decisions constantly, you're going to be, in a sense, a hypocrite. We're going to set our mind on the things of the Spirit and on the Spirit Himself and say, Holy Spirit, you're not just welcome in this place, but you're welcome in my life. And now when I deal with my taxes, you're welcome even here to help me. The Holy Spirit, when I deal with, with, with my family and when I deal with this issue in our in our family, when I deal with these issues in my life, Lord God, when I consider that for so many hours a day, I'm stuck to this thing called internet and, and even pornography, Lord, I've I got to consider that even in that, I've got to set my mind on the things of the Spirit where His Spirit says, come away, my son. Oh God, please help me away. That's a Spirit-led believer. And, and we all st- struck, we all stuck in this situation where we've got to go left or right. And in your situation, it's right to live. <laughs> That's what it means. It practically means I walk with him and I talk to him. I involve him. I never forget about him. And I also listen to him. Setting our minds on the things of the Spirit becomes firstly possible because he now lives inside of me. He has made his home inside of us, as seen in the following verses. Romans 8 still, we read in verse 9, Paul speaking, you, however, he's comparing again this thing of the flesh, is, his hostility to God and, and the spirit is, is, is being open and, and, and friendly towards God. He says, you, however, those that have been filled with the spirit are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. He says, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, dwells is the Greek word oikos, which is home. He's made our home with us. He's not just come to visit. God's not interested in visiting us. (laughs) He's interested to make his home with us. And one day, eventually, we will make our home with him. I know. But in the meantime, God's spirit has come to oikos amongst us, to dwell within us, not just to dwell amongst us. So in a sense, we... We, we recognize his absolute presence everywhere, but we also recognize his presence inside of us. In the Old Testament, he was an occasional visitor to people. In the New Testament, he takes up permanent residency. Permanent residency. It's like the illustration of a fish in water. <laughs> as much as there is water around the fish, there's water inside of the fish. Amen? You can't not. Imagine a fish that doesn't... Imagine a fish. I can't say it that way. Otherwise, you're not going to hear what I'm trying to say. Imagine a fish that's trying to keep his everything closed so that he doesn't have water come inside him. And that's impossible. It's like you're trying to live without air. We've got to breathe. The fish needs to have water inside of it. And so God's Spirit is around us. But God's Spirit is also inside of us. We've got to recognize that. 1 John 4 verse 13 says this so beautifully. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. This is how we know it. 
because he has given us his spirit. This is how we know. This is how we know. Not because we feel good. Oh, that was a great feeling. Now I feel God's presence. No, no. This is what I know. In the beginning, God, I love that. It's just, how is it that I'm preaching in the... <laughs> it's, I've never had that. I've never had that kind of a confirmation in a preach. And where the word is just said, spoken. And so, we, we've, we've understood this about God's spirit. And this is what we're trying to stir one another towards. is a, a greater awareness of it. Last week I told you that many people... Have, have often realized that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. People just forget about Him because they often don't know how to relate to Him. But I believe Jesus said the following about Holy Spirit. He said, you know, it's better to have Holy Spirit inside of you than me beside you. Because Jesus said it's better that I leave. I've been beside you. I've not been inside of you. I've been inside of, beside you. And it's better that I actually leave because unless I leave, he who comes to live inside of you cannot come. And so when we understand the beauty of Holy, Holy Spirit living inside of us, it really gives us a sense of belonging. I belong. I belong to him because he's come to make his home with me. The third thing that we find here in Romans 8, it says in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we have a mortal body. How many of you agree with that? Our mortal bodies look different, they're bigger, they, they're smaller, they're lighter, they're darker, they're whatever. But this mortal body has something inside of it that actually defines it. The outside does not define me. <laughs> when you look at the mirror, take down the mirror, that's not who you are. Your ID number, document, whatever it is, does not define you. The place of birth does not define you. Your place of schooling does not define you. The place of habitation that you have currently does not define you. This is what defines you. He who lives inside of you. We are so concerned about the outer look. And we so have used that to define us. And I hear just stories of how many young girls are under pressure because when they look in the mirror and they use that to define themselves, they're constantly trying to, def to try to change that because they feel that they're defined by what they see in the mirror and why, by what others say about them. So hence, selfie, 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 to change, just to try to find the right angle, trying to find the right look. Because that defines me, people believe. It's not true, ladies and gentlemen. This is what defines you. And if we spend enough time on this, we will have a different generation. But our generation is overwhelmed by what social media says about them. It is so sad. It is so sad. And so here we find that Paul says, if the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he will give life. So what it means is I'm made alive. I'm made alive. I am alive and I'm made alive. 
Even though the body of sin is mortal and temporal, inside of me is God's spirit that makes me come alive. It does not only speak of the life of God in me, it speaks of my nature. I am alive. And I'm alive unto him. I'm not just alive to breathe and to eat, sadzanyama. I'm alive to breathe so that he will be glorified. My spirit is alive and will eternally stay alive. So you can't die. Your mortal part of you will pass away. But where you are today, if you're born again, you've been filled with God's spirit, you're alive and you'll never die. You'll just move from your temporal place of habitation called earth into your eternal place of habitation called heaven. So you are alive. So you've got to believe that about yourself because the scripture says. So if death, so this is a big thing. If death, which is the physical death, if death on earth cannot stop me from living, how can anything that I face or experience here on earth today stop me from living? Because death cannot do that. People see death as their worst enemy. So if that cannot stop you from living, my friend, how can we look at external things here on earth and our circumstances and say, well, they, they're causing me to stop being alive? You've got to understand what the Word of God teaches us about Him coming to live in us and what change that brings. We need to celebrate that. So if I'm alive, that means growth. Amen? Everything, anything that's alive grows. And the sign of growth is what? Fruit, well done. And so we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And next week, we're going to celebrate spring. I want you to come, and maybe we'll have a display of fruit. I don't know what fruit we can get this time of the season. But we're going to just have fruit around. We're going to celebrate the fruit of, of God's Spirit upon us and in us, and which is a sign, which is an evidence of God's Spirit inside of us, is fruit. And if there is life inside of you, that means that you can impart something, isn't it? You have something to give, which refers to the Gifts of the Spirit. So that's also another evidence of the Spirit of God upon us is the gifts in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to be talking about the gifts. These are all things that relate to the fact that you and I are filled. Romans 8 carries on. It says, when we are filled, we receive new identity where we can cry out, Abba, Father. You are a son and a daughter. That's your identity. Spirit of God upon you. Romans 8 verse 26, it says, I can, I'm able to pray. I'm able to pray because of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And we just don't have enough time to go through all of these things. Also in Acts, what, what happens is when the Spirit of God comes upon me, in chap, chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, you will receive power to be my witnesses. So we're able to testify of the goodness of God because of His Spirit inside of us. Then in the Gospels, so many beautiful verses where, where Jesus was saying, when the Spirit of God comes, He will teach you about me. So Jesus becomes more real to us when we are filled with the Spirit. 
And then also in John, there are a number of verses that I'd love for you to go and, and, and reflect on. And by the way, I mentioned the fact that we want to give you the notes for the prayer and fasting week. And we do that through our broadcast list that we have. And if you're not on the broadcast list and you want to receive those notes and guidelines for this week, please go to InfoHub and give us your name, as well as um, receiving the notes for the preach. We, we try to help people just um, digest and spend some extra time on the, on the preach so that it will impact our lives. And what we will do is give you all of these verses to go and listen. I want to close by just saying one of the most beautiful things for me, and it's not the most, <laughs> one of the many wonderful things about a walk with Holy Spirit. And John, particularly Jesus, talks about it. He says, he will be your comforter. He will guide you into all truth. He will really speak to you. I want to say a beautiful thing about him is that he, that he comes and he whispers into our spirits. He whispers the things of heaven into our lives. And, and, and so many of you will be able to testify this morning of, of hearing the whispers of God. Just those, those impressions, the still small voice inside of you that enables you to, oh God, yeah, I've got to think differently. We see evidence of that even in the book of Acts where they wanted to go this way and, and God whispered something and he stopped them and he, and he made them go in a different direction. And, and this is something so incredibly important for us to recognize Holy Spirit, not just as a person, but to be open to those promptings, those beautiful whispers from heaven. I want to encourage you to consider just who Holy Spirit is and how amazing he is. I close by saying this. Every person upon conversion receives the Holy Spirit in their lives. Every person can also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if they want it. But once we do receive, whether at conversion or whether by asking, fill me again, Lord. And Paul, by the way, says, keep on being filled. When we receive, when we are filled, it's not just to speak in tongues, but it's to actually experience the evidence of what we've been speaking about this morning and let that be real in your life. And so